I love I love worship. It's hard to make them stop worshiping like hey. <laughs> I know. Well then get off the stage. What are you doing? No. So I uh, thank thank Joe and Caleb and the rest of the team for leading us in worship. It's a, it's always a great way to start our service and it's just a great reminder as we sing those songs of who did everything for us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and this morning's message is really going to focus on that. So open your Bibles this morning to the book of Judges, and we'll be in chapter 7. A title of this morning's message is Soli Deo Gloria. You're like, are we a Catholic church? Is this what's going on? <laughs> Does anybody know what that means? Or is it just nerdy me? What? To God be the glory, or glory to God alone. It's Latin. It really comes from about the 15 and 1600s. That's my favorite era of church history, because it's really, we're all descendants of that. It was a Protestant Reformation. At that time, there was one holy Roman Catholic church, and you had to belong to that church. Well, the men and women of that era were seeing some things going on in the Catholic church that they didn't agree with. They felt like it was more about the church than about God. And there's a lot more that goes into that. So people within the church, namely, it started with a man named Martin Luther in the 1500s, who said, hey, we're going about this the wrong way. This isn't what the word of God says. And in the process, they started a whole reformation. He was kicked out of the church, and it just snowballed from there, and we are descendants of that. Because they were saying, you know, it's all about God, not about a church. And so this saying, glory to God alone, kind of encapsulates that entire era. It wasn't about our good works. It's not about going to the right church or following a certain man, namely the Pope at that time. It's like, no, to God be the glory and God alone be the glory for all he has done for us. And this morning's story that we look at in Judges chapter le- chapter 7, you're going to see that. I hope that comes across, and it reminds each and every one of us, do we give God alone the glory? Well, let's pray before we start. Lord God, we do give you all glory and praise and honor and bow down in worship of he who is and was and is to come. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that we will never forget all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do and all that is before us as your children. We ask this morning as we open your word that you would show us, Lord God, how to give you alone the glory in our lives on a daily basis. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Judges chapter 7 is a continuation of the story of a, a judge named Gideon. And so just to bring you up to, to, to date on what's going on in Gideon's life, if you weren't here last week, we saw that Gideon was chosen by God to deliver the nation Israel from the Midianites. But before he was to go out and, make a, and deliver Israel, he had, to start, he had to start at home. You remember last week, he went back to his father's house and destroyed the altars. So he started Reformation at home. Now he's going to go out and defeat the oppression of the Midianite army, obviously with God's help. So that's where we pick up this morning's story. And let's start in 
verse 1. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 and see, really, as we're going to see, is what is challenging God's glory? There's a challenge that the author is going to tell us about, and it's really a challenge of God's glory, similar to what I started with, the, the Protestant reformers. There was a challenge to God's glory. And so let's look at that challenge this morning. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. So what is challenging God's glory right here, according to the Lord, is that Israel's self-reliance. He's saying, you know what, you guys are going to go out to battle, but if I send you out right now with all the men that you have, you're really going to say, we did it. It was by my power that we delivered, that we delivered the nation. They were going to take away the glory from God. God saw this in his people. He saw the pride that they had. Well, what's, what's wrong with being proud? We're told to be proud of our heritage, right? Proud of our country, proud of the things that we accomplish in life. Well, the thing that happens here, first with the nation of Israel, is they had been prone in the process of becoming prideful to forget about God. When times were good, as we're looking through the book of Judges, when times were good and peace was in the land, what would always happen? They would forget about the Lord their God. And they would go back to their old ways. They would begin to see God as only somebody who they called upon when they were in trouble. They called for help from God and nothing more. You remember the summary of this in in, uh, Judges chapter 2 verse 19. I'd like to read that to you real quick. Just so you know where I'm coming from. And I can show you why this is what Israel was prone to do. In the summary of the book of Judges at the very beginning. The author writes in chapter 2 verse 19. He says, but it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So Israel was only good until that judge died and then they'd revert back to their old ways because they truly did not have a change of heart. Israel was prone to forget about God. Remember, throughout the book of Judges, God would deliver them. There'd be peace in the land, and Israel would forget about God and go back to their old ways. He would bring an oppressor, and then they would cry out to God again, and we'd go through the cycle over and over again. And this is what's happening at this time. God's risen, or excuse me, has raised up a deliverer in Gideon. But as he said, hey, if I leave you with this big army, which we'll see how he dwindles it in a moment, you guys are going to become too prideful. Again, because Israel was prone to forget God. And in the process of forgetting God, they would assimilate to the people that were around them. Remember, they were told to go into the land and be separate, be different, drive out the inhabitants. But Israel didn't do that. Instead, they started acting like the world that was around them. Secondly, what's wrong with pride is that Israel not only was prone to forget God, but they would also forget to glorify God in their life. Because they saw it as themselves. We did it. God didn't do it. We did it. Remember, God is the one who delivered Israel. God is the one who's risen up 
or raised up a judge to deliver Israel. And God is the one who provides and protects Israel. But yet they were prone to forget that when times were going good. As a matter of fact, this is what happened right before he raised up Gideon. Remember the prophet of God in chapter 6. Look at verse 7 of chapter 6. The prophet of God comes to the nation of Israel and tells them what they have done wrong, why they're being oppressed. Look at this. In Judges chapter 6, look at verses 7 through 9. The prophet says this. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and disposed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You should not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you lived, but you have not obeyed my voice. They forgot about God. They started acting like everybody else, forgetting what God had done for them in the past and what he'd continue to do to them, do for them in the present. So part of what was wrong with the pride or what Israel was prone to do is, again, forget about God, forget to glorify God. And ultimately, they would fail to trust God anymore. They started trusting in themselves. They began to believe their own hype, in a sense. This is what he's saying. We're the ones that delivered us. It wasn't God. It was us. And ultimately, what would happen is that they would stop believing or depending on God. So God sees the end. If you guys start here, he was telling them, I know what's going to happen. You're going to think that it was you who did it. Then you're going to forget to give me glory. Then you're going to forget about me altogether. And you're going to stop believing and depending on me. So God wanted to stop it from the very beginning. It reminds me of the Beatitudes which Jesus spoke to all of Israel in Matthew chapter 5. Turn there with me quickly before we return to our story. This is what Jesus was talking about. In Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 3 and 4. Jesus starts off his famous sermon with this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus was saying, those who recognize that they need God, that they're poor in spirit, they're lowly in spirit, they need the Lord, those are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And those who mourn over their condition, mourn that they cannot do anything good enough to to please God, those are the ones who will be comforted. That's the context of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. He's saying to be humble. It's when you're humble, it's when you realize, I need God. I'm not that great. I don't you don't believe your own hype. And so God is telling the nation of Israel, particularly Gideon, you know what, Gideon? There's a problem here. I can't deliver you at this moment because if I do, you're going to say it is my own power that delivered me. You're not going to give the glory to God, you guys, and the nation is going to take it for themselves. So how does God remove the challenge? How does God remove this stumbling block from the nation of Israel? Let's go back to our story now, starting in verse 3. So the Lord said to Gideon, oh, that's verse 2, verse 3. Now, therefore... Come, proclaim in the hearing of all the people, saying, 
Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So two or 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 men remained. So Gideon has called the nation of Israel to go out to battle the Midianites. And so 32,000 men go out there to fight. God says it's too many. He says, Gideon, ask anybody who's afraid and trembling to go out to fight. You can leave. And 22,000 men leave. They were afraid. They were trembling. Maybe they're the one they needed to leave because they didn't really think that they could win anyways. So what good would they have been? I'm not sure. So maybe God can use this many men. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. And I don't know about you, but if I was Gideon, I'd be really worried at this moment. 10,000 men. That's it again. uh, You'll see how big this army is that he's going to fight. And the Lord's saying it's still too many. He says, bring them down to the water. This is the next test. And I will test them for you there. Therefore, it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. He shall go with you. But everyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you. He shall not go with you. So God's going to decide. He's going to say, this guy goes, this guy doesn't. He's going to say this to Gideon. So how does he determine that? Verse 5. So, so Gideon brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels down to drink. So there's going to be two sets of people. Some are going to kneel down and drink the water. They're thirsty. And others are going to scoop, you know, the water up and lap it or just like a dog. I'm not going to do it, but you get the picture. Now, verse 6. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink the water. So that's the two groups. So you have 3,000 men who lapped it and 900 7,000 men, or 9,700 men who bowed down to the water to drink. And if you know the Lord, you know which number he's going to use, right? Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped, and I will give the Midianites into your hand, so let all the other people go, each man to his house. Now these 9,700 men, they weren't afraid, they weren't trembling like the other ones that already left. They were ready to fight. But God says, you know what? Still too many. Let them go home. So Gideon sends them home. Look at verse 8. So the 300 men took the trumpets into their hands, and Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his own tent, but retained 300 men. And the camp of the Midian was below in the valley. So the stumbling block for the nation of Israel was the power of their own strength. They'd become prideful if he used them. So he got rid of all but 300 men. God was going to use, you see what they're going to use? Trumpets. That's what they're going to fight with. That in itself is another sermon. But I said, does anybody have a sword? I never see a sword in this story, by the way. But God's going to use trumpets in their hands. So God removes the stumbling block. He's ready to go out to battle. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was getting, I'd be a little stressed out at this moment. Okay, Lord, I believed you up to this point. And Gideon's a real man. He still has some doubt, even though 
He's seen what God has done. Remember, he put out a fleece. God answered that. God spoke to him a number of times, but he still has doubts. He's human. Just like you and me, how many times has God told us over and over again what to do, and yet we still doubt him? It's common. And God's a gracious God. He knows his servant. Look at what he says in verse 9. Now that same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. So he reminds them, you're still going to win, Gideon, with these 300 men. I'm going to give Midian into your hands. But God says, but if you're afraid to go down, which I would be afraid. He says, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they will say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So God reminds Gideon, you know what, Gideon? I'm going to secure the victory for you. You know, I want you to go out and fight, but if you're still afraid, that's okay. I'm going to give you some more encouragement. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the camp with your servant. He doesn't tell him what he's going to hear there. He just tells him that you're going to be strengthened when you go down there. So Gideon's faithful. Okay, God, I'm going to go down there. So he went with Purah, his servant, down to the outposts of the army that was in the camp. And God lets him see this. Verse 12. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand of the seashore. So Gideon, you can picture this. Gideon's walking down to the valley and he sees this mass army with mass resources. And his 300 men up there. And he sees this. Remember God said, when you go down there, you're going to be strengthened. But it's not what he sees that strengthens him. It's what he hears. Look at what happens next in verse 13. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his friend replied, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. So see the picture. Gideon goes down, sees the odds are stacked against him. But then he hears somebody talking about a dream. And isn't that just like a dream? It makes no sense. A loaf of bread hitting a tent and the tent falls flat. And then there was this clown. And I was at Disney, you know. That's how normally dreams are. I don't like listening to dreams. Just for me, I'm like, no, I don't want to hear your dream. My family knows that they don't even tell me about their dreams. They're probably missing out on some good stuff. But I don't have the interpretation of their dream. But this guy did. He said, hey, that loaf of bread that hits our tent, that's Gideon. That's the hand of God. We're going to be destroyed. So I want you to imagine this again. Gideon sees The odds are stacked against him, but he hears a confirmation of God's word. We'll talk about that in a moment. So what does Gideon do with this? Look at verse 15. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He was strengthened by the word of God. God told him, go down there. You're going to be strengthened. 
He hears God's word confirmed, doesn't care what he saw because God's word, he believes God's word, and he bows down and worships the Lord. He gives God the glory. And then what does Gideon do next? He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into our hands. So he goes back and encourages the troops. He's the leader. He has to be sold on this mission. He believes God. He encourages his troops, and they're faithful. They're following their leader, and they go out at this point. Verse 16, he divided the 300 men into the camps or into three companies, and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them. That's their weapons. Trumpet, empty pitcher. Into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. So the pictures are actually pitchers are covering the, uh, the torches because they're going to sneak out in the middle of the night. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. Now that's a leader. Just a side note on leadership. Don't do as I say, right? He says, do as I do. A leader's like, watch me, guys. This is how we're going to do it. Don't you wish your supervisors and managers were like that? This is how we're going to do things, not, hey, just go do it. Anyways, that's just thought I'd throw that out there. Don't amen it because maybe you're, you know, anyways. <clears throat> so he said to them, look at me, do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, that you also blow the trumpets and all around the camp and say the Lord, for the Lord and for Gideon. And we're going to end our story right there because at this point, the rest of the chapter, you can read it. They go out and God delivers the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the sons of the east to Gideon. Gideon leads the battle, the ultimate victory. And it results, if you read all the way through the end of chapter 8, 40 years of peace. God accomplished what he said, and Israel rightly gave God the glory. So let's now just take a, time, a moment now to examine our own lives in, in light of all of this. And just five points of application, and they may not all apply, but something to ask ourselves. And the first is this, are you in danger of taking glory away from God in your life? Am I in danger. It happens all the time at some point in our life. But right now, whatever you're going through, what's going on in your life, are you in danger of taking glory away from God? Let me ask you, is there any area of your life that has the potential? Remember, it was a potential that God wanted to remove. He didn't want them to stumble. He knew. So let me ask you, is there an area in your life that has a potential to have you say, my own power has delivered me? That's rivaling the glory of God, right? We have a tendency to, we all, we're humans. We have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to believe our own hype, that it is my power that accomplished this, or my power that allowed me to get this job, this promotion, whatever it is, to complete this class. I would just say, be careful. Be careful of your thoughts your motives and things. Stay alert to the inclinations of your heart. One, I think one of the reasons why, when you, when you go back to our story, that he decided to keep the three men that lapped 
water, pulled water up is because they stayed alert. Right? The other guys just bowed down, stuck their heads in the water, and drank. They're in war, by the way. They just forgot about that. And so maybe that's one reason why God said, you know what, let's not use them. They're not aware of their surroundings. They're not alert. They're not afraid to fight, but they're not keeping their eyes and ears open for what's going on around them. We need to do that with our own lives. Are you alert toward the inclinations of your heart? And I would just say, be quick to give God the glory for all things in your life. So again, are you in danger of taking glory away from God? Secondly, let me ask you this. What needs to be removed from your life that, again, has that potential to take glory away from God? Remember, the nation of Israel, God says, I have to remove your power because you're going to say that it's our own power that delivered us. So God removed it. Maybe there's something in my life, in your life, that needs to be removed. What has the potential to cause you to rely on your own abilities instead of God? We need to be careful. That's a constant temptation to take glory away from God. Thirdly, let me ask you this. Are you going deaf because of your vision? Are you going deaf because of your vision? Take you back to the story. Remember, God says, go down to the camp, Gideon, and you're going to be strengthened. And in the process, God takes him by what's going on, right? He's outnumbered. If, if Gideon was to just rely on what he sees, he, he, wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have been strengthened. It was what he heard that strengthened him. It was God's word that strengthened him. So I ask you again, are the things that you see in your world, are they blinding you? Are they causing you to be deaf to what God has already told you? Doesn't that happen in our lives? God has told us something. But then we see what's going around and we forget. I think of Peter when he was out on the water and, and he said, Lord, call me to you and I'll walk to you. And he said, come. That's what he heard. Then Peter walks in. As soon as he takes his eyes off the Lord and sees what really is going on, he gets afraid and he falls. I think that happens to us all the time. As we, we let what we see crowd out what God has already told us. I think even in the Christian church, we see our world falling apart. And we don't think, how's God going to pull a victory out of all of this? God's already said he's conquered everything. That we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But yet we let what we see drown all that out, what God has said. We should not let our sight disturb our trust in God and what God has already proclaimed. Should we not be guided and directed by God's word instead of what we see? Right? God's word is to be read and heard. And isn't that where our encouragement and comfort comes from anyways, when we hear the word of God read? I don't know about you, but every time I actually take time, spend it in God's word, I'm comforted, I'm encouraged. Sometimes I'm even rebuked, but even that comforts and encourages me. So we have to spend time in God's word so that we can hear what he has to say to us. Fourthly. We should do as Gideon. Once we hear God's word, once 
we're reminded of how awesome God is, we should give God the glory. Give God the glory for his promises, for his word, for his faithfulness, and all that he does in our lives. The fact that we're living and breathing and moving this morning should be reason enough for us to give God the glory. God doesn't have to give us a great victory every moment of our life for us to give him the glory. We need to be thankful and appreciative of all that God has already done for us. I'm sure if we had testimonies, we could let each and every one of us come up here and give a reason to give glory to God this morning. That he's allowed us to make it through the night. That I could walk, that I could see, that I could hear. I could run, jump, whatever it is. Maybe like, well, I can't run. I can't jump. But whatever it is, there's reason to give God the praise and glory. And we should give it to him. Remember, when Gideon was reminded of God's word, what did he do? He bowed down and worshiped God. And then lastly, once we're empowered by God's word, just like Gideon, we should go and encourage someone with the word of God. Remember, Gideon got was confirmed what God was going to do. And what did he do? He didn't just keep it for himself. He said, we have a fight. We have a battle. And he went back to his troops, said, arise. God has given us the victory. Let's go. And they went. They were encouraged by Gideon. I mean, imagine if you were one of those men and you were ready to fight. All right, we got 32,000 men. Let's go. All right, we got 10,000 men. Let's go. Now we have 300 men. Against all those people, they, the, I wouldn't be shocked if they weren't afraid either. And they're looking to their leader. And he's encouraged by the word of God. And he goes back and says, guys, we're going to do it. God has confirmed it. Let's rise up and fight the battle. A lot of times when we get God's word, we just keep it to ourselves. There are people in our lives, in our sphere of influence, who need to be encouraged and comforted with the word of God. So this morning, I exhort each and every one of us, including myself, when we've been refreshed and encouraged and comforted by God's word, and even, uh, excuse me, sometimes rebuked, there's somebody in our life, even maybe sitting by you this morning, that needs to be encouraged, needs to be comforted by the word of God. Let's go out and do it. So just a quick recap for points of application as we close this morning. Are you in danger of taking glory away from God? What needs to be removed from your life this morning? Are you going deaf because of your vision? Be quick to give God the glory. And lastly, go encourage someone with the word of God this morning. Let's arise and go forward. Because God has already proclaimed the victory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, once again, we thank you this morning for all that you've done for us. For gathering us this morning to come around your word and be encouraged and comforted. I pray, Lord God, that even some of us may have been maybe been rebuked for what's been in our hearts. I pray that we would have the courage this morning to allow you to remove from our lives, all those things that would take glory away from you. And we would not let our vision deafen us from your word. Lord God, help us in these times where we might be afraid, where we might see things that 
just looks like it's not going our way, that we would be reminded that you are with us through the entire process, Lord God. And that he who began a good work in us will complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. And reminded, Lord, that you work all things together for good to those who are called to your purpose and who love you. Help us to remember that, Lord, when we see the enemy all around us, when we see hard times and bad times, and when we're walking through it, may we be reminded of your word and may we fall down and worship you. Help us this morning, Lord God, to do that in this world. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you've given us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.